Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. We all have dreams for where life is going and where we thought we'd be by now. At this age. At this stage. But what happens when life takes a detour? You hit a dead end you didn't see coming. You lose your job. A relationship goes south. Your health fails. Or a dream is lost. What happens when you find yourself stuck between the place you once were and the place you're trying to reach? Welcome to the Land Between. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How you guys doing, all right? Let's hear it, all right? Liven everybody up a little. Want a joke? Joke? No, no joke. You feel like it? You in the mood? This is totally free. You get to use this, okay? Get your pens out. Get ready for it. How did the butcher introduce his wife? Meet Patty. <laughs> Sorry. It's just... I'm glad you're here. Wow. Good chance to see you. Some of you are walking out. Come back. We're going to have some fun today. Now, actually, I want to lighten it up because we're in this series, Land Between, which is about finding God in difficult transitions. And honestly, from the pile of prayer cards, this is just one stack. We had many of these we received last week at every campus. People are facing some serious situations in this church, you know, job changes, career challenges. There are people going through health and financial issues, people with uh, marriage and family situations where you're like, I'm really seeking God's guidance. And if you are here today, you feel a little lost or like you're in a dry season in your life, you've come to the right place. Uh, last week, I showed you a Google map so you could find out exactly where you are. I want to pinpoint your location. Ready? You are here. That's you in the middle of the desert, right? Many of us actually exist in this place called The Land Between. And this is really a series about finding our place in God's story as we follow the story of God's people in Exodus. If you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Um, this is actually a satellite photo of the Sinai Desert, right? So you can see it's brown, it's barren, it's very bleak, nothing grows there. But that's where the Israelites, God's people, found themselves after being liberated from Egypt, okay? And so I'm going to catch you up real quick by drawing. This is a series that we're all drawing in our notes. And uh, if you remember, the Israelites for 400 years were slaves where? In Egypt. Well done. Until God liberated them and said, I'm going to take you to, what's it called? The promised land. Yes, Atlantic City. Here we come. Uh, you know, we're going to go promised land. It's actually, it was called Canaan. It's what's modern day Israel. And the two weren't very far apart, only about 250 miles. In Exodus 3, here's what God says. He says, I have come down to rescue my people from the hand of the Egyptians, bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Israelites were like, sweet, we're going to Disney World, right? From a land of bitter slavery to a land of sweet promise. And God made good on his promise, right? He sends plagues in, uh, on Egypt and Pharaoh lets the people go. Then he changes his mind. He chases them through the desert. They come to the Red Sea and then Moses lifts his staff. It parts. They walk through water on dry ground and boom, they end up on the other side of free people. Brand new nation. But that's when the fun 
begins. Because they find themselves in the middle of the Sinai Desert at this place we're calling the what? The land between. And this kind of represents the place, the in-between space, where you can't go back to your past, but the future is now in question. What God had promised, or maybe even what you had planned. And for the Israelites, it should have been a very short trip. Again, it's about the distance between New York and Boston. If you were driving three or four hours, if they were walking one or two months, but how long did it take them? 40 years in the desert. And it really is kind of like the road trip from hell, right? We just acknowledge they hit this series of detours, right? First, they run out of water. Then they run out of, you know, food. Then they run out of water again. And it's like detour after detour after detour. The first one they came to, the name of it was Mara. Do you remember what this means, Mara? What does it mean? Bitter. This is a participatory experience. You can, you can call out, okay? It means bitter. It does, right? Because they come, they run out of water, and then all of a sudden they come to Mara, and they see this beautiful pool of water. They put it in their mouth, and what's it taste like? Guinness beer. It's <laughs> awful. This is bitter, right? I didn't sign up for this, God. I thought you were taking us to the promise. I just want a Poland spring, right? It's Mara. It turns it bitter. And the reality is, that's not just a literal, that's a metaphor. Anytime we come to a detour in our life, or life doesn't turn out the way that we expect, something unexpected happens, you lose your job, a loved one gets sick, or a job or relationship dries up, we find ourselves in this desert place that can easily turn our spirit bitter. Let me read you some anonymous examples of wilderness detours that you wrote and asked for prayer for. This person wrote, I'm currently unemployed. I've been searching for a job over a year. It's left me bitter about what my future holds in terms of my career growth. A lot of bitter situations about work. This one from a single woman. I'm 40 and still unmarried. I am weary of going on Facebook and seeing my friends' husbands and babies. My bitterness overfloweth. I appreciate her using the King James uh, version of that. Social media not helpful in the land between, okay? Uh, one couple wrote, we have tried to conceive for 18 months and no luck. We're trying to choose hope over hopelessness in this area. Please pray for my mother's cancer. I need to feel joy, joy, not bitterness. That was a common request. Not everybody feels bitter. Many of you are just drained, you know, just kind of tired. You do, yeah, that was a common request. God, I need this kind of fresh injection of hope or joy in a very dry season of my life. Uh, pray for my marriage. It's dry. My wife and I need healing, restoration of trust in our relationship. A lot of prayers from parents. I have young children, uh, and I am tired from the constant demands of day-to-day parenting. Will it ever end? No. Actually, no is the answer. <laughs> 40 years, it may end, you know. Uh, <laughs> my son was diagnosed with autism. This means the loss of almost everything familiar to provide for his care. I'm feeling lost, unsure of the future, trusting God, but feeling pain and some anger too. It's very, very honest. Again, I could read uh, so many of these to you. We prayed for, for each one, but I'll sum it up with this last one. This person wrote, after the passing of my father last month, would you pray that I learn how to have joy in this new normal? New normal. That's what a lot of you are asking. Is this the new normal? I mean, hopefully, it's just a bump. It's just a blip in the road, and, and pretty soon I'm going to get back onto the easy pass, or, you know, to the promised land. But what do you do when you find yourself in the land between? You can't go back, but now like things are sort of in question or in flux about the future. Well, I have good news. Last week, we introduced this idea that the land between, while temporarily unpleasant, is also the place where God does some of his deepest work. God doesn't actually lead you into the desert to kill you, 
but to train you. That's what the desert was. It was wilderness training where God said, I'm going to raise up my people and teach them what it means to trust me completely. Some people ask that question. They say, you know, why do these bad things happen? If you're saying God uses it, does that mean like God sends it? God sends infertility? God sends, you know, uh, sickness? No, not at all. Part of the sovereignty of God is understanding that in the beginning, God created, and it was a garden. Notice it wasn't a desert. In the entire account of creation, there's no mention of deserts. God didn't say, I'm going to create this barren place of dryness and howling wind where people go to die. He doesn't do it. <laughs> and it really represents the brokenness of sin that came into our world that causes death, decay, disease, all these things. God allows it into the life of his children, but he regulates it. Meaning it doesn't all come at once, but he allows them to happen at certain points. And he says, I will actually bend those terrible events to my will and produce something in you, fruit, that couldn't be produced any other way. He actually turns something sweet out of something bitter. And that's really what we see happen here in the scriptures. Of course, Moses tosses wood into the water at Marah. It turns it it's sweet. But this is a real moment, guys, where according to the Bible, what's being forged in the desert on the anvil of adversity? The answer is this, our trust. All the things that make us mature and complete in Christ, perseverance, patience, hope, joy. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness depends on happenings, your circumstances. But joy is this deeper abiding sense of peace that my Father in heaven has adopted me, he has accepted me in Christ, and I can trust him to work all things together for good, even this. And that's what he's after, trust. And I want to thank you, by the way, just for trusting us. Thank, as your pastor, thank you for trusting us with some of your hurts, some of your struggles. I feel like this was like holy ground. Like these are, you know, the, you were very honest. You were very candid. And it, is our, it really is our privilege as a church, like to come alongside you, encourage you, pray for you through this. We prayed for all of these before you even arrived today for services. But we're believing, believing God's going to provide for you. Amen? Just as he provided for the Israelites at, at Marah. At Marah, he tells Moses, throw this piece of wood in the water. It kind of prefigures the cross of Jesus, and it turns the water sweet, showing us that God can be trusted to turn a bitter situation into something sweet if we will trust him and choose better over bitter. That was last week's challenge. When facing a detour, how do you choose better over bitter? Where do you find joy when you feel drained? How do you find strength when you feel weak? That's what we're going to learn today as we look at detour number two, and you can flip into uh, Exodus chapter 16. This is where the text is located, or flip there on your phone. This is the second detour the Israelites face in the land between. So as soon as God uh, provides, you know, what, water at Marah, here's what it says in Exodus 16. The whole Israelite community set out, and they came to what? What does it say here? The desert of sin. Anybody been to Las Vegas? You've been there? Okay. Keep going. Here's what it says. In the desert, the whole community what? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them. Now, this really helps if you read this in a very whiny voice, okay? The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. Wow, you know? But you, Moses, you brought us out into this desert to what? starve this entire assembly to death. It's like, no, it happened again. 
First, they have nothing to drink. This time, they have nothing to eat. And the moment their stomachs start to grumble, their spirits start, or their stomach rumbles, their spirits are the one that grumbles. And notice at this moment, they stop looking forward to the promised land, and they start looking back, right? Living life in the rear view, right? Man, I wish I could go back. Do you remember Caesar's buffet, you know? We had pots of meat in Pharaoh's palace. We had all the food we wanted. They don't, they, they sort of forget the whole slavery part, right? Oh, yeah, 400 years of slavery. Never mind, whatever. I like the buffet. This, this, this is a very human response when we feel stressed, okay? If we are stressed, we can't get to the promised land. we to take us back to Egypt, any place but here. And that's natural. If you've been hit with a loss or an unexpected detour, we kind of focus on what's been taken away, and we start questioning God. God, if you're good, why would you let this happen to us? I had everything I needed before I started following you. Are you trying to kill us? Are you trying to starve us? Are you punishing us? I remember when my own dad was diagnosed with cancer. Now we're 15 years ago. My family, we had big questions for God, all right? We're like, God, we found ourselves in this unfamiliar, strange land of, you know, chemotherapy drips and radiation. And at first, we were actually angry at God. I can see that now. I didn't, couldn't verbalize at the time. We trusted him, but we're like, God, if you have the power to change things, you could heal my father. Why aren't you? Did we do something wrong? Was God punishing us? And when healing didn't come instantly, it took our family on this kind of new journey. We like, we prayed for healing, but when that didn't happen, the future was now in question and we had no choice. We stopped projecting like into the future because it was like four months, four years, four, we don't know. And we had to start living day by day by day. We would actually start in the morning praying for strength for that day's, you know, chemotherapy. And can we make it to the night and tomorrow's scan and then Friday's drip? And we had to start living one day at a time, which is exactly how God is training his children here in Exodus 16. I, he says, I want to teach you to trust me for 24 hours and no more. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. And then you'll know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came, so small little birds, covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And this is kind of weird. Watch this. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? <laughs> For they didn't know what it was. Some of you know what this is. What is this stuff called? You guys know? Manna, yes, yeah, so you can write manna there, and you can look at your footnotes, you know what manna means? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> They're literally like, what is this stuff? I remember the first time I ever heard of manna, and, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the, the preacher was like, it's like these, you know, flakes of frost on, on the desert floor, and I was like, that's not bad, man, frosted flakes? <laughs> They're great, <laughs> you know? That's not what it was. Numbers 11 describes it this way. It says, the manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. So resin is like this kind of sticky, syrupy thing that kind of hardens. The people went around gathering it, and they ground it in a hand mill, or they crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. So imagine this. The people wake up every morning. They go outside their tent. They look around, 
And there it is on the ground, right? They start picking up these kind of frosted flakes, this white, sticky stuff. They gather it up, and it says there's all these different ways they prepared it. They, they baked it, they boiled it, they crushed it, you know, manna pancakes, uh, manna muffins, manna oatmeal, manna soup, manna burgers. Remember that movie, uh, Forrest Gump? Remember when Bubba Gump, he says, well, there's a lot of ways you can make shrimp. You can boil it, you can bake it, you can saute it, and then it just like goes on for five minutes, right? They're like, here's the response. What is this stuff? Morning, noon, and night, I'm sick of this. And you would be too. The Israelites ate manna how long? 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Now, before you judge these guys, like, oh, they're always grumbling. Can you imagine eating the same thing every day for every meal for four decades? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Have you ever had a moment in your life you ate the same thing morning, noon, and night for days on end just because it was cheap? Let me take you back to college. Okay? You know what these are? You know the goodness of ramen noodles? Oh, five for a dollar when they're on sale, baby, all right? And then it's pretty good. It's a three-minute miracle meal. You just zap fry it kind of in the microwave. And it's not bad unless you eat it every meal like we did my junior year, okay? My roommates and I, we didn't have a ton of money, and it was like dinner, you know, chicken ramen, uh, you know, lunch, you know, beef ramen. I remember one morning, in a moment of sheer desperation for breakfast, we had lime shrimp ramen for breakfast. If you eat ramen more than three days, at some point, does the aroma not want to make you throw up? Did you come to resent the crinkling? of the wrapper. Imagine eating ramen every meal for 40 years. You get a sense of where the Israelites are at. They're like, I'm sick of this. And so are many of you. Think about your detour. As you journey through the land between what's wearing you out? What's draining your joy? What's making you say in your spirit, I am sick of this? Again, some of you, I'm just so grateful for your honesty and candor. This person wrote, I've been battling Lyme disease for over a year, and it feels like there's no end. I feel like my life is on hold because of the chronic pain. I'm sick of this. What are you sick of? I've been waiting for a new home to replace the one Hurricane Sandy took three years ago. Still waiting. I'm sick of this. What are you sick of? I'm sick of living in my parents' basement. I'm... I'm I'm sick of being out of work, and then people ask me, so what are you doing? And you struggle to find an answer. I'm sick of visiting a parent in a nursing home who barely recognizes my face anymore. What are you sick of? What drains your joy? I'm, I'm, I'm sick of enduring wave after wave of medical testing with no clear outcome. I'm sick of it. See, the land between is fertile ground for complaint, and you have to guard your heart. Because this is not just food the Israelites are griping about. They're not like, we, don't, we want the buffet. They're complaining about God. They're essentially saying, God, we were better off in Egypt. We were better off in chains. We were better off without you. As author Jeff Mannion notes, their grumbling bordered on cosmic treason. But again, what's God doing? Why does he let his children go into the wilderness at times? And the answer is found in this manna. What is it? <laughs> what is God doing? God says, I want to teach you how to trust me for your daily bread. 
God says every morning there's going to be a miracle, fresh manna, and you're not allowed to hoard any. If you look at it, look down at your, your Bibles, you'll notice he gives them instructions. You can only collect enough for 24 hours. If you collect more, it actually spoils. It becomes infested with maggots. You only get 24 hours provision. In other words, God says, I'm training you to answer this fundamental question every follower of mine has to answer. Who is the source of your daily strength? Who do you come to for your daily bread and sustenance? Jesus inevitably had this story in mind when he taught his disciples to pray. Lord, give us this day our, this is where he's getting it from. And in the desert, God says, I want to transform the children of slavery into children of trust. And I'm saying, will you come to me? Will you come to me? Will you come to me? I'm going to leave a trail of bread comes. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And every single time the Israelites say, no way, no how, no way. They fail trust school. So here is a question I want you to discuss in your life groups this week. Where does your heart go when you feel hurt or disappointed? When you feel lonely or bored? What is your default response when life doesn't go as you planned? Do you fold your arms in a funk? Do you withdraw emotionally, silently seek into depression? Do you get angry? Or does it deepen your dependency on God? Because that's what the Lord's doing in the desert. What is the desert? The desert is the place where all your sources of security and sustenance dry up. And we think it's a curse, but God says, I can turn this into a blessing. You know why? You'll never know God is all you need until God is all you have. You'll never know God is all you need until God is actually all you have. See, trust is born of this bedrock belief that even in the wilderness, I am a deeply loved child of the king. And he's not just some God out there. He is my father in heaven. And he has promised to give me exactly what I need just when I need it most. God says, I'll give you my daily bread, my presence. And it may not be like frosted flakes on your front lawn. God may say, I'm going to give you, give you my presence in the form of a well-timed email of encouragement you get just when you're at your breaking point. Or somebody calls from your life group to encourage you and pray with you. Or have you ever gone to church and you go in, you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm just kind of feeling dry and out there and I don't know. And there's this eerily timed sermon that you're like, is Tim reading my email? What is that? It speaks directly in your situation with clarity and hope. That's not me. That's God saying, I haven't forgotten you. I can feed you even now. During a season of financial stress, the bread may come in the form of badly needed money. We have people in this church, I hear this all the time, they'll say, you know what, our, my, our car broke down, we live in bill to bill, we couldn't even pay this week, and then I unexpectedly received this money just this week, just to fix this issue. You never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. In the desert of your job search, God can actually provide meaningful employment. I talked to someone today who was like, praise God, Tim, I start my new position this week. And then as soon as I finished talking with him, another guy came up and said, still searching. And God's going to give him the strength to make five more phone calls or send out the next round of emails and resumes. You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. God can actually give you strength to care for your kids. It may be in the form of, I heard about a life group that actually called up a mom of a special needs child and said, you know what, we're going to watch your child for the weekend so you can do something extremely holy. Sit 
can read and take a nap. God's provision. No matter your need, God can provide. It's just what he does. He's a provider. Just when you feel pulled and stretched beyond the breaking point, he says, would you trust me to come for you for your 24-hour daily bread because I care for you? That's the miracle of the manna. God says, would you trust me enough for 24 hours even when I delay giving you what you ultimately want? You're like, we want to go here. He's like, I know, I know, I know. And when he doesn't give it to him, he's like, we're better off in Egypt. Back to slavery. You know, that's the language of addiction. When people are in pain, they'll do anything to escape, even if it means going back to slavery. When somebody, so I talked to somebody who's like, I'm 12 days sober, Tim, man. It would be amazing to have four. And all of a sudden, it starts happening. It's like, man, it was actually better off when I felt nothing. People in pain will numb out with anything. Alcohol, drugs, food, overeating. What do you do? Binge watch TV. Or 13 episodes of Downton Abbey. <laughs> Now I'm more depressed than ever. <laughs> or shopping, right? Retail therapy. <laughs> when you feel empty, when you feel distressed, I've got to fill that up with something. We're going back to Egypt. That's where the Israelites were. They had been slaves for 400 years. In other words, they didn't trust anybody. In Egypt, you obey Pharaoh or you get beaten. And here comes God asking, saying, I am a loving heavenly father. Trust me. And they're like, it's a trick. <laughs> When my family set out my dad's cancer journey, we had no choice but to start living day to day because there was no magic wand. We couldn't project into the future. You know, five years, 10 years, we're like, dad had his first chemo, I think, in February 1999, followed by weeks, days of radiation, and then there were moments, you know, months of waiting, and then another round of chemo, up and down, remission, repeat. And morning by morning, we literally, my family learned to trust God and ask him for strength for that 24 hours. And for 15 years, God led our family through this wilderness step by step, day by day, sometimes moment by moment, giving us enough peace and sense that God is sovereign, God is in control, he is my father, he's given us his son, and the spirit is in us, and he can lead us. Guys, the truth is so much anxiety happens, is produced when you speculate into the future and say, how are we ever going to get there? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough worry about its own. If you respect the process and look to God for your daily bread, he will reveal his presence in unexpected ways, even when you go through these seasons of great disappointment. Just ask Trisha. Trisha is a teacher in her 30s, and she's single. And when the relationship she was headed in towards marriage suddenly ended, it left her hurt and angry and confused. Why did God let that happen? But in her disappointment, Trisha came to a place of rest after God fed her through his word. A few years ago, something happened that did significantly impact uh, my walk and relationship with the Lord. It did involve a relationship that uh, it wasn't super long term, but it was serious. I mean, we were talking marriage and we were making plans for the future and that relationship did end. And as a result, I had a lot of questions that I wanted answers to. I had a ton of, of anger, and that just brought about a great distance um, between me and, and the Lord. Dealing with the issue of singleness, um, especially once you hit your, your 30s, that seems to take on a whole different challenge. I am a teacher, so that's a huge part of, of my day and what I do. The relationship officially ended like the day after the last day of school. 
It's like the first day of summer vacation. That was it. Couldn't sleep. It was very difficult to rest and to quiet myself to even go to sleep. So I would, many times, I would just get up and I would just walk. I would just pace around the house and just utter just restlessness and just crying. There was no peace. There, there was no, no comfort. I did continue to press into the Lord. I mean, I did all of the things you're supposed to do. I was praying. I was having my quiet time every day, but my quiet times were me kind of sitting down with the Lord and demanding some answers. I needed him to explain himself. And surprise, surprise, he, he did not. He did not provide the answers I was, I was demanding. There was no humility in my approach. Certainly was not reverent. So that just further increased my anger. I had to wrestle through like all these things that I thought I believed and um, did I really? There's a reference to Psalm 4610, which you hear all the time is be still and know that I'm God. But this particular devotional, it used the phrase cease striving. And I felt the Lord saying to me, that's what you're doing. Cease striving. You are turning yourself inside out, trying to find answers to questions you may never find. And instead of fixating on what you don't know, focus on what you do know. And I just kind of started slowly thinking about his attributes. And that was such an incredible turning point because I was looking outside of myself and outside of the emotions and truly looking to the Lord and what I knew about Him. Receiving that comfort and being able to rest in that and who He is, not what I have to do, not what I think. Okay, maybe I can't see His goodness in this, but that doesn't mean He's not good. He is. That's where right now I'm finding rest in, in the Lord is just trusting Him and trusting who He is and not on my own understanding. One of the things I love about Trisha's story is that in this season of testing, she actually fed on God's word, or daily bread, and at first she was looking for answers, but then God led her to something better, actually a place of rest and trust in his goodness, in his provision. See, when you feed on God's word, when you, you pray, what happens, a, a, a shift happens in your focus. It goes from, it's all about my problems to an awareness of God's promises. Can I ask this question? What if your situation that you hate, you despise, the circumstances you loathe the most was intended by God to actually be the greatest catalyst for your spiritual growth? What if whatever it is you're struggling with, your singleness, your marriage situation, your chronic illness, your career, what if God is using that as the single greatest catalyst for your spiritual growth, the transformation of your heart? Because the land between is the sacred space where you actually learn to pray. You say, God, I got to have you because I don't have anything else left. I feel really lost here. It's where you actually learn to get honest with God. God, I don't have the peace. I don't have the patience. I don't have the joy. I need you today in a desperate way, and I have no other choice but to surrender control to you. What if the land between the place you hate the most is the space that produces the fruit that you need even more? And that is trust. Trust is the glue 
that holds any relationship together. And only in the desert does trust in God deepen and harden to something steely as you learn to depend on him for your literal daily bread. And this is key, folks. Whenever you come to the, the detour in life, you have to ask the right question. Here's what I've found as a pastor. When most people come to the land between, they typically ask this question. Why me? Why did this happen to me? Everybody else is healthy. Everybody else is getting married. Everybody else is starting a family. Everybody else is fill in the blank. Why me? Where's the focus? Me. But God says, can I invite you to ask a better question? What if instead of asking why me, you turned it around and said, God, what do you want to do in me? Instead of asking why me, God, what are you trying to do inside of me at the deeper places of my heart? And God may say, hmm, what do I want to do in you? Um, let's see. How about, we, um, how about we start with the anger that's out of control right now? Do you realize you do that a lot? In fact, every time you're hit with a delay or something doesn't go your way, you lose it. You lose patience. You lose perspective. You get angry and out of control. And I actually need to free you from slavery to that before we take one more step forward. I love you too much to stay enslaved to your anger. It's very easy to say, why me? But the better question is, God, what do you want to do in me? Maybe he'll say, what about maybe those control issues you've had? You're holding on so tightly to the reins of your life. You have it all mapped out, how it's going to go, and it's on your timetable. Everything's in your control. How about handing that over to me? God, what do you want to do in me, in my heart? I'll admit, this is not a natural prayer to pray when you're drowning in debt, when you're engulfed in grief, or you're struggling with depression. But this is vital, the place of spiritual formation where God produces this deep abiding trust. And so if you're here today, you're not a Christ follower yet. This, you're, maybe you're thinking about becoming a Christian, but you're like, I got all these things going on in my life. What is God doing in you? Maybe right now he's actually creating faith in you. This is even a new idea to you that the events of your life are not random, that God has sovereignly ordered them to produce something more precious than rubies. You are not alone. There's a God who came down, gave his son on the cross so you could be adopted into his family. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will walk through this with you if you trust me. It took 40 years for the Israelites to pass trust school. 40 years is a long time. I pray none of us will ever be in the desert that long. But if you're in there today, what should you do while you wait? How do you, pra like practically speaking, how do you feed yourself? How do you find strength? How do you uh, experience joy when you're drained? The miracle of manna gives us three things. These are three practical ways to feed your soul if you're in the desert. First off, what is the manna? Because that's the question the Israelites, what is it? The answer is this, manna is more than physical bread. The manna represents three sources of spiritual strength if you are in the wilderness. And these are very practical tools if you're taking notes. The first thing that manna represents, of course, is God's word. How do we know? That's how Moses saw it. Later in Deuteronomy 8, Moses says this to the people. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to do what? To say it together. Humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. Why? What's the purpose behind all of this? Here it is. Get ready. Let's read it together. To teach you that man does not live on 
bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In the desert, God's word is your daily bread. It's just like Tricia said, feeding on scripture. And this is the true source. It's the, the core strength in a believer's life. Sometimes in the desert, all you have are God's promises. And when you read the Bible, God will often provide verses that like become a lifeline to you during a difficult time. You ever have that happen? Like you're going through something, you open the Bible, you begin reading, and there's jumps out at you. Something resonates so deeply and speaks right to the challenge you're facing. It's God feeding you. I remember during my dad's cancer journey, our family clung to Jeremiah 17.7. I can't even remember how we came across the verse, but we read it together, and all of a sudden it sprang to life because it seemed to describe my dad. This is what it says. It says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I remember we read that, and that's such a vivid image of like a tree getting brittle and drying up because here's my dad, and he's, and he's losing his hair, and he's losing all this weight, and now he's having trouble eating and all of this, and he lay in this recliner, and we wrote this verse out and framed it with a picture of a tree next to a river because that's who my dad was. He never cursed. He never complained. He said, blessed be the Lord. He gives. He takes away. Unusual response. Why? Because he had his roots deeper. He was drawing from a stream. And in a time of heat, when the heat was on, his leaves didn't fall off. He still produced fruit that exists to this day. In that moment of testing, can I tell you? God's word, that scripture became a very sweet source of strength in a bitter time for our family. Trisha, God said, cease striving. All of a sudden, her heart opened, it dialed down her emotions, and all of a sudden, her focus shifted from her problems to God's promises. God's word is vital bread in time of testing. Think about Jesus. Right now, we're in the season of Lent. You guys know what Lent is? It's the period of not 40 years, it's 40 what? 40 days that Jesus was where? In the desert! In the New Testament, Jesus, what happens? The Holy Spirit leads him into the desert where for 40 days he's fasting. There's no food. He's weak. Satan tempts him and says, hey, if you're hungry, tell these stones to come bread. And Jesus says what? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he combats the devil with scripture. That's a model for every follower of Christ. He's like, I'm the new Israel. I'm going to actually pass the test. Feed on him, guys. If you're looking for a daily dose of God's word, let me recommend to you, Jesus Calling is a daily devotional that my wife and I, we've, our whole family has used this. It's a daily reading based on scripture. It's a phenomenal resource if you are struggling with peace or anxiety. This to me is a perfect companion if you're traveling through a desert season. You can buy it for like seven bucks on Amazon, but there's an app now that you can actually just have on your phone because some of you I know, you flip on your phone first, you don't get in reading. In the morning, however you do it, gather your manna. <laughs> Feed your soul from God's word, and you'll be shocked how God speaks directly to specific situations in your life through his word. That's the first source of spiritual strength. The second is prayer. If God's word is bread, prayer is actually how you digest it. It's how you process what you're going through and take hold of the promises of God. Philippians 4 says this. Don't worry about, what's the word? Anything. Instead, pray about what? What's off the list? Nothing. <laughs> everything means everything. I always love the King James Version. It says, don't be anxious. In other words, don't feel anxiety. What's the remedy for anxiety? Prayer. Instead of projecting into the future, we pour out our needs for that day. 
Because your father's like, I want to hear from you, my child. Why? Because I care for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's simple as that. Your father cares. He cares about your failing marriage. Your father cares about your son or daughter who's making poor choices. Your father cares about the betrayal that's crippled you. Your father cares about the, your struggle to make ends meet. He sees that you're tired. You don't sleep. He sees the exhausting days. And in prayer, you bring these things to your father because he cares. He really does. Paul says, tell God what you need and then what? Thank him for all he's done. Thankfulness is the core of prayer, an attitude of gratitude, not grumbling. Grumbling, complaint, just raises your stress levels. The cortisol goes off in you and it's off to the races. But when you thank God for his past provision, watch, you remind yourself what he's done. Oh yeah, he took us through the Red Sea. Oh yeah, he provided water at Marah. Maybe he can be trusted to provide for the next few steps. Not that one, but this one. <laughs> Here's what happens. Paul says, you know what happens after you pray? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That image is guarding, like standing like a sentry. Even trust displaces fear. Contentment kicks out anxiety. And even if prayer doesn't actually change the situation, prayer changes you. He changes you. And that brings us to the final thing that manna represents. Exodus is not the only time that this miracle bread is mentioned in the Bible. In the New Testament, when Jesus was ministering before he went to the cross, people were grumbling about his ministry. And here's what Jesus said. He said, stop grumbling among yourselves. I am what? The bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Who's the bread? Where do we get the bread? Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Where do you find strength? Where do you draw joy? Jesus says, feast on me. I am the ultimate source of peace in a very unpeaceful life. I am the only sure thing in a very unsteady process. At the end of the day, how do you know your father cares? Because he sent his son, Jesus, to journey through the desert to the cross, and he dies he lives the life you were supposed to live, and then he dies the death that you deserved. And he says, now come, feast on me. Want proof of God's love? Christ left heaven for you. And that's a source of great sweetness in a time of bitterness. That Christ forgives sin, that he gives you a new identity as a child of God. Why trust him? Because Jesus suffered through his own land between. On the cross, Jesus suffered the worst of human pain and suffering, physical betrayal, abandonment of friends, by God, far beyond what any of us can comprehend. And his body was broken like bread. At the Passover table, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said this, whoever eats this bread will live, how long? Forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. How long will your journey be? Statistically, actuaries say probably between 75 and 80 years. That's just the average American life. I'm thinking for me, I'm like maybe 73, 74, depending on how I handle bacon. <laughs> a lot of stuff going to happen in between there. But I have been promised life eternal because of the sacrifice of my Savior. Amen? That's the offer. That's the offer. And that's what we're going to celebrate right now through communion.
Communion is the symbol of your dependency on Christ and saying, you know what? I may be at a low point, but guess what? Christ is enough. Even if he's all I have, he is all I need. <laughs> you know what? You never know how much how God's all you need until God is all you have. So when you come forward, understand you're receiving Christ. Christ becomes your strength. In trial, he's your joy. And during a barren season, he grows fruit, grows fruit and allows us to taste God's sweetness even during a difficult time. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this bread is for you. This is your daily bread. So you come forward to receive this in a spirit of faith, not fear, and trust in your Father in heaven. Let's bow our heads right now before communion, and then your campus team will lead you. Father God, right now, all of our campuses, we're bowing our heads. And Lord, we thank you right now that you are with us and you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven, salvation for our souls. This is our daily bread. God, right now we repent, we come clean and ask your forgiveness, Lord. Forgive me for my grumbling attitude, my critical spirit. Gosh, I can be so critical. God, for complaining. We confess those sins to you now and we come to you for cleansing. Father, as we receive the broken body of Christ, as we receive the blood symbolized in the grape juice that we drink, would you cleanse us anew? Fill your people with joy. God, as sons and daughters of God, I pray as they come forward, God, that you would strengthen them for this week. Give them just enough for tomorrow, Monday. God, let them see your provision and your goodness in every area of their life and now trust you, a bedrock trust in your sovereign plan for all of their days. Just take a moment, do business with God, giving you an invitation, Lord, to come in. We trust you in a new way right now as we come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.